The Watts riots of 1965 lay destruction in its wake. Fast forward to the early 90s, and the urban youth are still trying to find their way. Broken homes, gang violence, and the drug game dot the hood. Kane finds himself embroiled in the turmoil, having grown up with little means and as the child of a dealer and an addict. Will Kane break the cycle or remain a menace to himself and a menace to society? Welcome to Hip Hop Movie Club. This is a show for Gen X hip hop fans who want to relive the glory days and reconsider classic and modern hip hop films from a current day perspective. Together, we'll explore some of the larger societal issues raised in these films. Whether you have or have not seen Menace to Society before, we'll have you decide if you should take the time to watch it now. Either way, you'll be a smarter hip hop fan by the end of this episode. In the next 30 minutes or so, you'll get all this and more. We are three old heads who put their old heads together to vibe on these films for you. I'm Dino Wright, podcaster, filmmaker, longtime hip-hop fan, and the first hip-hop act I ever saw live was Arrested Development at Lollapalooza in 1993. I'm JB, 80s and 90s nostalgia junkie, longtime hip-hop fan, and I recently saw the hip-hop duo Ray Shrummer perform at Hofstra University's Fall Fest. I'm Boogie, the DJ, longtime hip-hop fan, and in addition to my wax, also have a pretty nice cassette collection, complete with a working Iowa Walkman and a Samuel Boombox. In this episode, we'll answer the question, does Manitou Society still resonate today? Men's Society is a crime drama depicting the formative years of Kane Lawson growing up around drugs and violent crime. Kane narrates his own story, navigating through the projects and living the thug life. We can only hope that he can reform his ways and find a safe exit strategy. This movie was from 1993. So let's get into Menace Society. We'll dig right in. I think let's start at the top. So... Take us through the now famous and often parodied opening scene that takes place in a convenience store. But you want to lay the foundation of of what happens there? Yeah, sure, I could do that. So the opening scene of um, the movie shows Kane and Old Dog walking into the local convenience store, talking about meeting up later and some things that they're about to get into. Um, There's an Asian woman um, cleaning in in the store, and... um, Old Dog immediately responds to her, like, she doesn't have to follow him around. So you know, they grab their 40 ounces, and as they're about to open it, the male cashier tells them that they can't drink their beer in the store. And Old Dog's like, yeah, you know, we're going to pay we're gonna pay for it, whatever, whatever, whatever. So then which, um, the lady responds, hurry up and buy, which is one of the famous lines that's parried in Don't Be a Menace to South Central by Drinking Juice in the Hood. And also the scenario of her following around the store in various places and popping up, um, hiding out throughout the store. Um, so then the cashier tells them they have to pay and leave them that they should just hurry up and go. And the lady just kind of watching them, you know, following them around or whatever. So um, Kane tells Old Dog, to, you know, to get his change. And he starts walking towards the door with his 40 ounce in his hand. And then um, Old Dog says, hey, you know, what's up with my man's change? Um, to which the cashier gives him his change and he says, I feel sorry for your mother. 
another line that's popped up in Don't Be a Mess Yourself, Central mm-hmm. Rodriguez Gives in the Hood, to which Old Art responds, what you say about my mama. Famous line, also parodied in that movie. But well, he immediately walks over to the cashier in a rage, and the cinematography just kind of pans over. You see Kane with his 40 ounce in his hand, and we just hear gunshots ringing off. 40 ounce hits the floor, and then we look over and we see old dog just kind of shooting the, the man behind the register. He grabs the woman who's who's there as a witness now and tells takes her to the back to go grab the security tape. And he's telling her to hurry up and eject it. And then you hear him shoot her as well, which is really unfortunate. Then then Kane runs out. Old dog um, runs out and is telling Kane that, you know, hurry up. I thought you were going to open up the register. And as Old dog runs through the register, he only finds $6. So it's like, wow. But then he immediately starts to pat down the victim, the man who's laying there, and take the rest of the money that he found on him. And he hops over the counter. And before he leaves, he grabs his 40 ounce and they run out. So it's just like, wow. <laughs> like the, the way it escalated in, that, in a matter of seconds is just unreal. It's jarring if you've never seen that scene before. And I've seen it several times and it still jars me a bit because um, of how quickly it escalated and the temperament um, that Old Dog displays in that situation. But like I said, it's been parodied a few times and the parodies are much funnier <laughs> and they bring a lot more light to it. But um, but yeah, that, that lays it out right there. Yeah, good breakdown. And, and, I, and I think it's important for a historical perspective because... I was reading more up on the tensions in the Watts area and the store owners are Korean and there was palpable tension between the, 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 the two communities, the, the Korean community, the black community. There was a famous killing of Latasha Harlan in 1991 at the hands of a Korean convenience store owner. And then there was other incidents after the Rodney King riots in Koreatown section in 92. So the Hughes brothers, you know, played off of that with this scene. So palpable tension, you know, art imitating life, so to speak. Yeah. The, this scene sets up the rest of the movie and it doesn't escalate until the Korean uh, store owner says, I feel sorry for your mother, bringing into focus like the real problem here. This movie spotlights is that the O Dog and Kane don't really have parents, <laughs> and the, the support system, and we'll talk about this, is not really there for them. And you know, this is their way of dealing with it is to uh, shoot the two <laughs> store owners. Yeah. So it's it's horrible, but this is the situation they find themselves in. Yeah. Like you said, Boogie, the scene is jarring. It shocked and captivated audiences. Remember, this is 1993. Not much of this raw violence was documented before, even in, you know, a fictional story. But again, life imitates art. So this was, this, this had happened. You know, similar incidents had occurred what's crazy in researching it too is that the hughes brothers alan and albert hughes were just 20 years old when they made the film 
and their goal was to shock and educate white America, you know, through shock value. So mm-hmm. it sure did the did the job there. And it's two years after Boys in the Hood, still. Yeah, right, right. We're going to talk about like comparing and contrast to Boys in the Hood. So, right, it's two years after that. But wow, that opening scene, um, it it is a very legendary scene in, in crime dramas. Yeah. And I read that Lorenz Tate ad-libbed What You Say About My Mama, which is amazing. Wow. Wow. Yeah. 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 And even that that whole the security tape that um O-Dog eventually does grab out of the back with, with the woman, that tape is constantly coming up throughout the movie in, in various scenarios um, because it, it becomes a mockery to watch that scene. Where, you know, the guys sit around with their drinks and you know smoking or whatever to watch that as a as a parody of what happened, like laughing at it, and it's it's crazy. <laughs> yeah, he was proud. He was celebrating it, like yeah. boasting about what he had done, like because he had street cred. It's this crazy. is a- Sports Center top ten highlight film. So t- you know, it's funny we have younger listeners out here that may not understand this concept because nowadays everybody has cell phones. This would have been caught. One of them would have been filming it on a cell phone, recording it, and then they'd be sharing it through social media. Hopefully, not letting it get out to the authorities somehow, trusting the people. But back in the day, it was a physical tape that was in the surveillance uh, camera sitting in the convenience store that they had to eject. And a physical tape that was important that he wanted to make sure he possessed so that the, what the authorities wouldn't get it. But again, he ended up replaying it for other people and celebrating, which was savage for sure. So Kane, the main character, Kane, the protagonist, as we, as you mentioned, Dada Wright, born in, into a life of crime, addict and uh, dealer for parents who both died young because of the world in which they lived and circumstances. Do you empathize with Kane? Like, are you rooting for him throughout the movie? Why or why not? Donna Wright, you want to kick it off on this one? Sure. I was rooting for him because he had a, a rough upbringing uh, and generally he wasn't looking for trouble in the beginning, but then it, the, the life just took over him. But He's not so much pulled into it as that he he chooses to to live that life, and so I was rooting for him at first, but then I'm like, oh, this is not going to end well for him, and yeah, he, he turns into an antihero, I guess. Right. Yeah, you know, I guess the rooting as much as you can root for him, you just root for him to survive the movie. Yeah, you root for him to maybe reform himself. Is what I was. Yeah, you like, know, he was trying. I guess he, you know, even though he he did embrace the lifestyle, he also. I think he came to the realization that he needed to get out. And so he was going to. And then we find out. <laughs> we see what happens after, yeah. right before he leaves. Boogie, what are your thoughts? Were you rooting for Kane? Yeah, it, it's hard for me not to, to empathize with Kane to a certain extent. I mean, I understand that he is the product of his, of his parents to an extent. Um, and the product of his environment to an extent. I mean, but he also has a loving... Um, set of a lo- loving, nurturing grandparents 
you know, that want to see him become a good person. Like they, you know, upright religious folks. And they even, they sat down, they would talk with him. They would spend time with him. They would say, give him encouraging words. Repeatedly throughout the film, you see them, you know, pushing for him to, to do the right thing. Even pulling old dog in and talking with old dog as well, you know? So it also, I like to see the underdog succeed. Like you know that because of his environment that he's in, he's he's the underdog, and, and, and he's just, he's on his way to becoming a statistic by his actions. But on the flip side, it's hard to root for him because he continues to participate in knucklehead behavior. You know, like the incident when his cousin was 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 murdered in a carjacking. They knew who the people were. They had a perfect opportunity to get the authorities involved in that situation. But no, they went and handled it themselves. You know, you know, even when um, he met the girl, Lena, and, you know, she called him and told her that she told him that she was pregnant. His immediate reaction was to almost abandon her in that situation and claim that it wasn't even his child. When he had the, the, um, the Mustang 5.0, he had factory rims on it. But what did he do? He went out and robbed the guy of his for his Dayton's to put him on his car, you know. And then when, even when Lena's cousin came over to confront him about, you know, you know, dissing Lena, I mean, yeah, you, you, okay, a fight is a fight, but the extent to which he he beat him was 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 brutal. Like he stopped him repeatedly on his head while he's on the ground, you know, things like that. It, it kind of make makes it hard for you to to want to root for him, but like. Like Dino Wright said, like you're rooting for him to survive the movie <laughs> because you know the path that he's going down, something's going to happen. But then there was like the light side of it when you know Ronnie was, and even um, what's his name, Sharif and and uh, Stacy were trying to get him to go to Kansas, you know. And, and then Ronnie's like, you know, why don't you come to Atlanta with us? And he finally was like, all right, you know, looks like he was going to go. But you know, as the cliche saying goes, life comes at you fast. <laughs> And it sure did, right when he was ready to make a move. Yeah, great breakdown. Um, I was rooting for him to turn his life around. Uh, again, I grimaced at all the brutality that he put out there in the world. Um, carjacking, you know, retaliation, murder, <laughs> rough. But he, he did have a soft spot for... Um, Purnell, who was his mentor and Ronnie's son, mm -hmm. uh, while Purnell was in prison, like the little boy Anthony, he would, I think he either bought him a big wheel or, at, you know, said he was going to, and he would continuously give money to Ronnie to help care for Anthony because, you know, Purnell, Purnell was locked up. So he did have a loving side, but it was just shrouded by all the hardness from his upbringing and his surroundings. So we didn't mention his father was played by Samuel L. Jackson and the character Ronnie was Jada Pinkett Smith. Um, so some big names in here. Yeah, for sure. So let's talk a little bit more about Kane's support system. What comprised Kane's support system? Who, who was, who were the influences uh, for him? Boogie, you want to take that as well? Yeah, I mean, I think touched on on, on it a little bit, a little bit. He did have, like I said, he had his grandparents 
I mean, that was, you know, his primary support. I mean, he lived with them and you know, they fed him and provided for him up until, you know, he got to the point where he started hustling and kind of somewhat doing for himself. But um, they were there for him. And I mean, they tried to, as best they could. I mean, granted, it would have probably been a little different had they been younger and, you know, probably able to go outside and kind of chase him around or whatever. But they were definitely there for him. You did mention, you mentioned Ronnie. She was very supportive of him as well. And she cared very deeply for him. You can see it from the beginning that there was a, a connection between the two of them. And she was, was looking out for him and wanted him to, to do good. And she was the one that was trying to encourage him to leave and come with her to just get away and just start over. Even his his boys, Sharif and Stacy, like I said, they mentioned earlier, they were trying to get him to move to Kansas with them. Because they knew it wasn't not, there was nothing going on in South Central LA either. So they were like, "We we got to get out of here, and you should come with us." It, even to the point where Shree's father, Mister Butler, stepped in and was trying to talk to them. And that was he's he was a great role model. And as he said, uh, there was a statement he mentioned in regards to Sharif, and he said, "You know, you know, referring to the Nation of Islam, being able to give Sharif that support that." You know, to make him a better person, he said, listen, I don't care, you know, if he's Muslim or not. Like, if he's making my son, you know, a better person, I'm all for it. You know, and he was just like, you know, I don't understand it. I'm not Muslim, but, hey, it's helping my son. It's good. (laughs) You know, so stuff like that, you know. But he, like I said, I think those were were probably probably the primary positive um, influences in his life. Yeah, I saw one powerful speech mr butler sharif's dad very slowly stated being a black man in america is tough you are the prey just survive like he tried to drill that into uh kane but he just wouldn't listen he was too embroiled in his lifestyle it was hard to get out but yeah he had those other opportunities his grandparents were very proud of him that he was getting his diploma and they were religious and Mm -hmm. we could tell that Cain was uncomfortable when they started talking about God. He's like, oh, they're all talking about that God stuff, and, you know, but he was, he was brushing it off, unfortunately. And, and Ronnie did. It wanted him to avoid the fate of Purnell, like in jail or worse, you know. So they were pulling for him and trying to pull, but the, the their force wasn't as strong as the other influences of the negative influences. O-Dog was totally unhinged. Like you said, he was showing off the video and yeah. not a good influence at all. And like I get, I get Kane's cynicism to, a, to an extent. I mean, having witnessed what he witnessed as a child with his, with his parents, father selling drugs and shooting somebody and killing him right in the house. His mother being strung out or on heroin and crack or whatever. So, I mean, I get the cynicism and say, you know, when the grandparents want to talk about guys, they say, okay, well, what happened with my parents? You know, I kind of get where he's coming from to a certain extent, but at the same time, you can't, you can't go through life, you know, focusing on the negative when you have all these, you know, people around that are trying to pull for you. So, I mean, like I said, that's, that's what made it kind of hard. When I said it earlier, it's like maybe made it hard for me to kind of, empathize when he's got these people that are trying to root for him, you know? Yeah. Got anything to add on the influences 
on Kane? You know, it takes a village, and if the village doesn't have stable parents in the beginning, that's really it's really tough to make it. And despite the best efforts of the grandparents, Harold for a few minutes <laughs> before he got shot in the carjacking, and and Sharif and Stacy and, and Ronnie and Purnell, there's only so much they can do. And Kane made made his decisions despite what. You know, people were trying to help him were, were, were doing, so it's tough. What, what were the opportunities that he had to escape his life of crime? But, but you talked about it. His friend Stacy Sharif were moving to Kansas and he wanted to come along. And what, what were some of the other opportunities he had to escape? You want to touch on that? I mean, even just the fact that, I mean, it was unfortunate that his cousin... Harold was killed, but he was shot and he survived. You know, you live through something like that. You know, it's that's a that's a point where you could say, well, maybe I need to kind of start rethinking some things. (laughs) Yeah, you know, but he didn't rethink things at all. Like his immediate the immediate response was to retaliate. And I get it. I mean, that's your cousin. I get it. But at the same time, like, you can't expect to go out and do something like that and something good come around. Because, yeah, okay, you, you, you kill these guys. Now what next? Like, you, you could have gotten caught by, in the process by the police and shot and killed right there on the spot. Their friends could have came and stole it, and they could have shot and killed during the spot. There's so many things that could have gone wrong by jumping to, that, jumping to those actions and he had a perfect opportunity to completely avoid all of that. And he chose not to, you know, even like, like I said before with his grandfather, um, trying to talk to him and old dog about the trouble they get into. Cause he, he sees it. Like some of it, he sees and some of it. He, he hears, you know, through hearsay through the neighborhood, but he's calling it to their attention that I know what you guys, some, I don't even know all of it, but I know what you guys are doing out there is wrong. You kind of might want to try to com- correct it. And they they didn't, you know, even when they tried to, you know, they went to go um, steal a car and, you know, yeah, he, he got his, his sentence got reduced to attempted joyriding instead of Grand Theft Auto. Okay, you got a reduction. And then his fingerprints um, matched the 40 ounce that was dropped in the store. He got interrogated and got away with it. <laughs> You know, they couldn't find anything because they had no evidence. So he, he got off of that. Here's another opportunity. Okay, I got away. You know what? I'm clean. I'm out. I'm done. <laughs> nope. Keep going. <laughs> you know, Stace, Sharif and Stacy trying to talk to him. Nope. In one ear and out the other. You know, Mr. Butler talking to him. In one ear, out the other. You know? And then, he, you know, they had the unfortunate um, scene where Kane and Sharif were brutally beaten by the police officers. And, and, you know, nope, you know, <laughs> and I think that might have, that might have been somewhat of a turning point because Ronnie actually put it in his head to go with it to Atlanta. And then she asked him again and he finally did accept. But after all of the, the laundry list of <laughs> things that he's done and like, granted, it's a movie. So they only show a certain aspects of what happened. So there's probably a lot more that he's done that, that didn't make the film, (laughs) (laughs) you know, it's safe to to make that assumption, you know, Mm -hmm. and it all caught up to him, 
you know? When faced with the opportunity to really change, he never takes the opportunity. Right. <laughs> he makes really bad decisions, I mean, on the face of it. And that's, I guess that's the stubbornness of being young and growing up in that environment, not having that true exactly. father yeah. figure or parent parental right. figure. His, his moral life. compass is, is broken. <laughs> He yeah. never really had one. Yeah, that's true. Even though he, he like you said, he did have a, a loving side to him, and distorted maybe, but loyalty. Uh, yeah, it's 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 one of the great things about this movie. It's very, you know, morally complex. Yeah. yeah. Right. That's why I found myself torn a little bit, rooting for him versus not rooting for him. It's like mm-hmm. it's almost like it's almost like dummy, dummy. You know, like. Just, yeah. just get out of this. Like Ooh. you have an opening. You have an opening. Just like see the path, but there, there's something keeping him from that. Yeah. Like yeah. even like you know when he went to go see Pernell. Pernell even knew. Pernell was like, "Listen, man, just go, go with them, and look out for my son. You know, look, be there for my son, and, and tell him that, show him that what, what we what we were doing was wrong. It was BS. Right. Yeah. Show him a better way. I think that might have probably been the icing on the cake right there that kind of convinced him because I think he was. He, I think I, I think there's a there's a possibility that even though he told Ronnie he wanted he would do it that he would leave, I think there was still a possibility that he was not going to do it <laughs> just based off of yeah. his past actions. Yep. Yeah. But I think yep. Purnell was probably the icing on it when Purnell put it to him straight, and he as much as he admired Purnell, I think that was the icing right there. Coming from somebody who lived that lifestyle, who got caught up. Mm-hmm. He survived, but he got caught yeah. up. And he's able to tell you, listen, don't do what I did. Get out. Yeah. <laughs> Take it from someone who had the bad outcome. <laughs> right. I think it was cool that Purnell, well, Purnell kind of gave Kane the blessing to, you know, become. I guess boyfriend, girlfriend, you know, have the relationship with with Ronnie. It's like I know she's fond of you. Like I'm not around, and yeah, just take care of my son. Like I, right? Like you said, oh, that was very big of him. I remember. Yeah, that was that was big of him. Um, yeah. So let's talk about Menace to Society versus Boys in the Hood. I mean, they 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 get compared and contrasted quite a bit in. In retrospect, again, in terms of the timeline, Boys in the Hood came out in 1991, Men's Society in 1993. I'll, I'll kick it off since I, I haven't started one of these yeah, discussions. Absolutely. But yeah, in my opinion, I thought that Boys in the Hood was a more well-crafted story with more thoughtful character development. Men's Society was much more raw. And the narration through Kane, I really liked. Uh, he was narrating his own story, kind of gave the viewer a firsthand account of his life as a youngster in the hood. Obviously, you have some folks that had the better support system in Boys in the Hood, like Trey Styles, And like I said, the relationship between he, him, Doughboy, and Kenny was more well-developed. Well Not so much with Kane and Odell. You don't really see that relationship. Yeah. 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 So that's kind of how I would compare it on the surface. Did you want to chime in some more, Dana Wright, on your thoughts? Yeah, I agree with you. I think there was more character development in the in the other in, in Boys of the Hood. They were really like two bookends. 
you know, Chuck D once said that rap music is the black people CNN. And, you know, this was sort of like MTV. <laughs> like it showed you what, what life was like in, in some of these places. Uh, and so the comparisons, they're, they're very similar in that the, the depictions of the life were unflinching. Uh, maybe, maybe Menace to Society was a little more graphic and violent, but you know, you got the same effect and you saw the kind of the same stuff. I, I think you're right. I think there was a little more, I guess, exploration of getting out in, in Boys of the Hood, maybe. You know, it's been a while since we watched it, but it's really just Kane trying to get out. But in the other, in, in Boys of the Hood, I think they were all sort of figuring out what they were trying to do next. Right, you get to see the trajectory of each of them uh, in Boys in the Hood. Yeah. And trying to avoid the pitfalls of the Gangfield neighborhood. And there was that glimmer of hope because there's that possibility of the football scholarship. There's different avenues. There doesn't really seem to be a light at the end of the tunnel for Kane, even though he's offered these ones. But nothing really was like – nothing stuck with him, obviously, as we said. No, uh, but, and I think yeah. – yeah, sorry, just to finish that point. Good. Yeah. The the ways to get out there were there were more ways to get out shown in Boys of the Hood and and Menace to Society was like the only way out is in a pine box. <laughs> Unfortunately, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah, Boogie. What are your thoughts about comparing Menace to Society with Boys in the Hood as well? No, I think I think you both summed it up pretty well. I think I mean they both do take place in the same area, South Central Los Angeles. So. And, and they do both the trick depict the pitfalls of, of of that area in that time period. Like you said, the storytelling is, is very different. We have first person narration and menace and we have the kind of looking from the outside in and boys in the hood, but I do like the, the character development that we did see in, in Boys in the Hood and that kind of made you um, have a more of an attachment to those characters, yeah. Um, because we saw them as kids, and we saw the the, the bond that they shared from early on, growing up. Um, even though we didn't see every aspect of them growing up, we saw them as kids. It's, it's kind of like we we kind of knew where they were coming from and how they became so tight. And we didn't really see that in Menace, but Like we did, like you mentioned, though, the, there was more than one avenue to get out. And so you were kind of rooting for those characters, all three of them, the main characters, you know, old, um, Doughboy, Ricky, and and Trey. We were rooting for all three of them to make it because you kind of mm-hmm. got a bit of an attachment. And you saw that they were there was a bond between them, so you didn't want to see any one of them fail. With Menace, I mean, yeah, we... We, we were rooting for Kane, but, you know, <laughs> Oda was almost a lost cause. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, you know, you, you, don't wanna, you don't want him to infect any other area. You want him to just yeah. stay where you're at or get put down and get locked up or something. Like, what's going on, guy? <laughs> but, yeah. um, but, no, I think that you, you will both summed it up pretty well, though. And, and yeah, they definitely are, like you said, Dino Wright, they're bookends, I think. To that, to that area, and definitely, um, you know, the visual to you know what's going on at that time 
period in 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 LA, South Central South Central LA. Yeah, early nineties tensions were high um, with yeah. the Rodney King incident, and so very poignant at the time. Man, I have a mental block where I always call Ricky Kenny. I don't know if you caught that. For, for some reason, he must have reminded I, me. I, I was, I, he must I, remind – I may have done that when we did the other record. I'm like, for some reason, in my head, he, he's, a, he's a Kenny. Where, where the iconic scene is like, Ricky. And I'm like, why, why do yeah. I not remember the name? I don't know why. It, it just, it's just it's just Kenny. some odd odd thing. It's like, Kenny. <laughs> I bet you watched too many South Park. Yeah, yeah, right. Oh my god, they killed Kenny. Killed Kenny. Oh my god, <laughs> bastards! Jeez, but yeah. Oh man, sorry about that. Oh, rest in peace, rest in peace, Ricky. But the the, the, the nice tie between the two movies I just found mm. out was that Ice Cube was offered the role of O Dog, uh-huh. turned it down, and has regretted it ever since. So oh. there you go. Yeah. Can you imagine? Wow. Yeah, Ice Cube is O Dog. Goodness gracious! That would what a character! Make a, yeah, the, a whole different movie if Ice Cube was the was was O Dog because I feel like in in Boys of the Hood, Doughboy was really charismatic and like you, yeah. I was really rooting for for Doughboy to survive the movie. Yeah, and yeah. I think if he gave that humanness to O Dog, I think there'd be a different movie, and you know maybe the whole opening scene with the in the convenience store is, is a lot different and so a, a very interesting thought exercise is to redo this movie with ice cube as o-dog yeah for sure another fact and we mentioned this in the dear mama tupac legendarily was originally cast to pay to play sharif but he yeah. was fired and that led to the physical fist fight or physical fight, it was a one-sided fight probably, or attack on, on Alan Hughes, and, and Tupac was charged with assault and battery. That was mentioned by Alan Hughes, who did the documentary series with Afini Shakur. So Tupac could have played in this movie as well. Yeah, that would have been crazy to have Tupac and Ice Cube in the movie. Wow, yeah, can you imagine? Then we, then we have MC8. Playing A Wax, mm-hmm. yeah, with too short, Lulo, too short, yeah, and even Yo Yo was was at the party, the going away party at the end, where um, Kane got tired of watching Chauncey. the advances of um, what's his name, Chauncey. Chauncey, Chauncey, yes, got tired of Chauncey's advances on Ronnie, and decided to pistol whip him. Yeah. <laughs> Like how you like that's your boy. How you got pissed with your boy? Like you could have just pulled him aside and said, "Yo, chill." <laughs> yeah, you can't have no chill by the end of the movie. <laughs> but it's, you know the crazy thing about it is that even if the end didn't play out the way it did, the circle was closing in on both Old Doc and Kane because Chauncey decided to take that infamous tape and send it to the authorities. Yeah. <laughs> it's like he decided that you know his retaliation was much smarter mm-hmm. he said you know what <laughs> okay I'm not going to shoot him I'm going to get back at him but I'm going to yep. do it the smart way <laughs> and I kept looking at Mr. Butler Sharif's dad and I'm like where do I know him from where do I know him from Charles S. you Dutton. know Charles S. Rock. Yeah, Rock Rock the TV show yep. Rock which was on for several years yeah, I'm like I know that guy that smile I'm like I know that guy 
and I, and I couldn't place it like during the movie itself because I hadn't seen Rock in years, but he's very recognizable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, Charles is done. Yeah. yeah, both of these films had some really terrific actors. Really, yeah. Just think of T- Tupac as Sharif in this movie. I mean. We saw how much he chewed up scenes in Juice and Above the Rim and all, and those movies. And you imagine what this movie would be like with Tupac in that role. Which, I mean, Sharif, not a big role, but man, Tupac would probably make it a big role. Right. Yeah. I mean, so many, so many big names here. Even, even, even Glenn Plummer, who played Purnell, he's in another movie, ironically titled South Central. That's, oh, yeah. yeah good yeah. movie. Very good movie. Oh, did y'all, did y'all see Anthony Johnson? Wait. I saw him in the yeah. credits, um, but I couldn't okay, remember his so character. We'll back it up. So in the beginning, in the beginning, when Tat was, they were playing cards at the table. When Tat gets up to shoot the guy, the guy with the, with the, um, with the fedora on, that was Anthony Johnson. Ah. I, and you know what's funny is that all of the, my times of watching the movie, I didn't pick up on it until that time. I watched, I watched it. I'm sitting watching. It, I'm like, wait a minute, and then I go to the credits. Like, wait a minute. I thought that was wait a minute, and I looked at me. Like, that is him because <laughs> mm-hmm. he wasn't being funny. He was just he was kind of in a serious um, role, even though it was brief, brief cameo. But yeah, that was Anthony Johnson. Bill Duke is in this. Bill Duke, uh, phenomenal actor. Candy Alexander's in this. Yep. Clifton Powell. Clifton Powell's hey. in this. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I was just looking at him. He's been in a lot of stuff. Clifton Powell. Yeah. Dead Presidents, Friday After Next. Mm-hmm. Um, Rush Hour. He's still still doing things this year. Great cast. Yeah. So what about the soundtrack? I had some... Yeah. Obviously, MC8's on there. Too short. Too short. Pete Rock and Seal Smooth, Brand Nubian, Boogie Down Productions. I love this soundtrack. I listened to the soundtrack. I had the CD. Okay. <laughs> and I listened to it, I mean, almost every day, the summer of 94. <laughs> and I had that CD. I got the rider, and then somebody stole it out of my room. <laughs> I went to play it once. How ironic. Room. I'm like, where's my CD at? <laughs> How ironic. I mean, that's the case. That's the case. Oh, man. That's, that's cold-hearted. Yeah. <laughs> I know we mentioned this one when we were talking about the best soundtracks with uh, DJ Arm and Capsi. I don't know where it ranked, but it was up there. It was up there. Yeah, this was one of my picks. The soundtrack yeah. was one of my picks. That was one of your picks, yeah. Go back and listen to that episode if you're into hip-hop music and soundtracks. We list out a whole bunch on that episode. Yeah, I enjoyed the music. No one song really stood out to me like, oh, this Trish track. But uh, I was I was head bobbing to uh, <laughs> most of the songs that came on. One other comment I had was like, I think like the action, the conclusion, kind of all happened pretty fast. <laughs> like the scene where it was like Elena calls Kane and tells him she's pregnant, and like he denies it, and then like the scene with Chauncey, and then the retaliate, the the, the brutal stomping of Elena's cousin. Like, I think they like brought it to a conclusion pretty quickly. And I was like, wow, my head was kind of spinning a little bit at the end. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if you guys had the same feeling. 
you know, and, and yeah, it did. You know, the crazy and the crazy thing about it is that that's just how quickly things can get out of hand. Unravel that yeah. quick. Yeah. You know, if, if everybody moves off of impulses, you go from zero to hundred real quick. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I feel like Boys in the Hood also that climax scene sort of took longer to play out, and this yeah. one was like, boom, yeah. drive by, it's over. <laughs> right. And like those guys weren't even that scene with that that whole scene that brought those guys into the fold had happened like much earlier in the movie. Like mm-hmm. it wasn't even instant. It's like, oh yeah, remember that guy right there? Yeah, that's him. Yeah. <laughs> You hadn't seen them like probably for like a good like you know half an hour or something like that. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, and I really felt bad for Sharif. <laughs> yeah, him getting getting killed in the drive-by was like, oh man. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that was really sad for me. That yeah, sad. that was that was extremely sad because he was really trying to get out, and mm-hmm. he was he was friends with them, but you could, you can clearly see that his head was in another place. Yeah, he he. He was supposed to be doing different things. And, yeah, you know, Mr. Butler yeah. having to bury him. He yeah. was mature behind, uh, beyond his years. Yeah, um, and on a higher plane. I still can't get over the fact that the Hughes brothers were twenty years old when they made the film, and the the final, final, very final scene was powerful. Like as Kane is slowly, you know, dying from his wounds, and like he's recalling his grandfather asking him if he cares whether he lives or, or dies, because that was one yeah. of his quotes. Like, do you care if you live or die? And it's almost like he comes to that realization too late that, yeah, I, I kind of do, but it's too late. Like, he had no care for that. Like, he was thought he would, either thought he was invincible or he just hid his feelings because he had that hard exterior and that hard upbringing where he yeah. was desensitized to to everything. But deep down he he had a lot to live for you know he could have started a new life with ronnie in atlanta you know help raise anthony um and reform himself but he didn't yeah. get that opportunity you know on the flip side though after i watched that whole end scene first thing that popped into my head was the don't be a menace to south central while you're using a hood version of it <laughs> 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 I, mean, I almost oh, have to feel like I have to go back and rewatch that one again. Um, yeah, yeah, to, exactly. To see how everything is exactly oh, yeah. parodied. Because, you definitely have to. Yeah. You definitely have to rewatch right. that movie. Right. You, it'll it'll make it so much funny, so much funnier because now right, because now you see all the re- references, yeah, exactly. all the references. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> While it's fresh in my head, yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's clear clear references to Boys in the Hood. Oh yeah, they, like, throughout oh. the whole movie. Mm-hmm. What? <laughs> yeah, like we said, they they really did the, the Wayans brothers did their homework on that. Like they really like analyzed every scene and like yeah, yeah. Some of it's word for word or parodied. Each word is parodied or like each scene to the T. And it's like wow. Yeah, they really. Like, they really. Lena's cousin is in it. That's the guy. The same guy. Oh, wow. <laughs> Sammy Monroe Jr. <laughs> same guy. That's classic. Same scenario. <laughs> Man. It's like, wow. Wow. 
<laughs> Boogie, what do you say on Menace Society? Bring that funky flick back? Bring that funky flick back? Or leave it in the vault? Um, for its cultural relevancy, it's very raw, but um, yeah, bring that funky flick back. Okay, done it right. I think this movie still resonates, so I will bring this funky flick back. And I am of the same vein. I will bring this funky flick back. Like I said, we talk about, like, I like Boys in the Hood better overall. Like, Boys in the Hood is one that I would rewatch more willingly, like, multiple times. For me, this one's very brutal and raw and, like, really well done and super relevant and uh, strong messages. Um, but, like, it's one that I wouldn't watch maybe multiple times or, like, kind of just leave it on in the background. It's uncomfortable. Like the first yeah, right. That's probably why it's just uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. Really uncomfortable. Yeah. I'm, I'm more. Yeah. I'm more of a comedy comedy guy, or like uh, stuff like that. But yeah, that's that's kind of why. But that was again. That was the Hughes brothers' plan. Like they accomplished what they set out to do. Shock value. 1993. Yep. Wow. I mean, 30 years ago. And yeah, they put that out there. So yeah. Kudos to them. This is, this is one hip-hop fans and crime drama fans should see if you haven't already. Hip-Hop Movie Club is produced by your HHNCs, JB, Boogie, and Dino Wright. Theme music by Boogie. Check us out on Facebook and Instagram at Hip Hop Movie Club. On the next episode of the Hip Hop Movie Club podcast, your HHMCs review Hustle and Flow. Subscribe now in your favorite podcast app and you won't miss it. Shout out to you listeners. Thanks for tuning in. Remember, don't hate, levitate. <laughs> levitate. Rise above it all. That's what Kane should have done. He should have levitated. Kane should have levitated and rose rose above it. (laughs) We got a song Levitate with Da Baby and Dua Lipa. That was a big a couple years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. My daughter loved that one. She she was singing that one a lot. Catchy. That's very catchy. Join us on Thursday, January 25th at Steel Stacks in Bethlehem, PA at 7 p.m. for a special screening of hip-hop's first film, Wild Style, which will also include a Q&A panel discussion with the director, Charlie Ahern, Grandmaster Kaz of the Cold Crush Brothers, and Grand Mixer DXT. After the screening, stay for a special performance by the legendary DXT and the Cold Crush Brothers. Your HHMC's JB, Boogie, and me, Dino Wright, will be there, so come through! Free tickets are available at steelstacks.org. This event is brought to you by 50 Years Down the Line, Northampton Community College, and ArtsQuest.